This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 26, Avoiding Stilted Dialogue, said Brandon. Fifteen minutes long, said Howard, because you're in a hurry. And Dan said, we're not that smart. All right. (laughs) Did did you say it ironically? No. I said it meaningfully. I said it tiredly. You're supposed to put in a bad adjective there. I know, but it's like midnight. It's not like midnight. It's, you know, okay, it's like midnight. Dan said lately, <laughs> we are going to um, avoid silted dialogue like the one we an adjective, an just adverb. had. Um, we've had people ask about dialogue all the time. Um, it seems to be one of their big confusions, their big problems whenever we do episodes where we get up in front of the crowd. Often there is a dialogue question about it, and we got one recently um, via email or through the forums. So we thought we would talk about it, specifically targeting how to avoid stilted dialogue. Um, And this is kind of a strange um, phrase we use, stilted dialogue. It's one of these things that we talk about in um, creative writing. And I don't know if anyone ever really even knows what it means. It's just the go-to. Oh, your language feels stilted. Um, It's kind of like saying, this scene is boring. they're, you're identifying something. Have you seen drywaller stilts? Um, yeah. Okay. When a guy's walking around on drywaller stilts, he looks like he is eight feet tall because he can reach the ceiling, but he's not. He's totally faking it. Stilted dialogue, it's like wearing drywaller stilts. You're not as tall as you say you are. Did you just make that up? Yes. Is, is that wow. different from other stilts in some way? <laughs> or Maybe. are other stilts more genuine? <laughs> well, I like drywaller stilts because they make that noise as you walk. Oh, boy. It's like you're awesome. a robot. Um, yeah, this is what happens. Nobody says, your dialogue seems a little mechanized. <laughs> <laughs> your dialogue just shot rockets at me. <laughs> Your dialogue's a drywaller. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, With that little tangent, um, what does it really mean when someone says this? It means it's not walking like a person walks. It's not moving like dialogue is supposed to move. It's not moving like a conversation. It's moving like like something on stilts that's just staggering down the street. I identified two things in there. Number one, you said it isn't talking like a person talks, and the dialogue isn't moving like dialogue moves. Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. those are two separate things, but I think they're both very important things that are part of this whole stilted dialogue thing. All right, so Dan, what makes it a conversation not move like a conversation should? Well, for one thing, we write in complete sentences. We do not speak in complete sentences. I do. You do sometimes, um, but for the most part, if you listen to a conversation, do this, go on a bus, go to a restaurant, listen to people talk, most of what they say is incomplete. Um, and that's just how we talk. We don't always have to say, I am feeling very happy today. You no, know? You're, you're very right. This is, yeah. this is one thing. absolutely me, correct. It's, yeah. it's a real balancing act in fiction to get that right, because you don't generally want to accurately portray exactly as a conversation goes. We've talked about this before. If we add in all of the ums and hums and haws and mm-hmm. incomplete sentences, we lose people. <coughs> Excuse me. But well, and you, also, you also lose people if you throw in the abbreviated sentences. Yeah. You know, yeah, when, exactly. I, when, I, when I'm headed to the store, I tell Sandra, going to the store. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that might be all right in a dialogue. That might feel accurate, but if every 
But if it's so, happening yeah. all yeah. the time. The problem is if she answers, why are you going to the store? And then you answer, I am going to the store because I need pickles. Nobody actually talks that way. Right. Well, yeah. But the, the trick in, in fiction, in though, books. what yes. we're trying to do is we're trying to give the illusion that it's real without including all of the clicks and hums and haws right. of language in reality. We want to have the perfect version of reality without making it seem like the perfect version. Generally, there are some times when people work really hard to accurately display dialogue, and it works in their fiction. It depends on what type of story you're trying to write. But generally, we're talking about mainstream commercial fiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in mainstream commercial fiction, this is what we're trying to do. It's a, it's a representation that's difficult to catch. Um, I was watching the A-Team movie, mm -hmm. and there's a couple of scenes in there where two key characters are both talking at the same time at each other mm -hmm. during an argument. And I realize that I can't follow all of it. Right. How would I represent that if I were writing it as prose? Well, you know, one approach would be to say, you know, they argued shouting over each other right. and tell yeah. it from the point of view of a third, third character yeah. who is only picking up every other word. Um, I, I don't know what the right way is to do it. In the film, it was very, very effective. Right. I don't know how the screenwriter would... Right. Well, they would probably write, he says this, and then he says this while shouting over him. Right. Um, and you could do that in fiction that way. Uh, you could just write it like that. Um, the real question we have, though, at least that I have, is how do, we, how do we help our listeners avoid doing this? Howard, you do dialogue really well. And your characters walk this line. I feel that they feel yeah. realistic, but they don't talk like people really would. Yeah. Um, how, are you, how are you walking this line? How are you keeping it from growing too stilted? Um, I, I rewrite a lot. Okay. I rewrite an awful lot. I start by writing all of the pieces of dialogue that I need in order to tell the piece of story that goes in this installment, in right. this strip. And my first... And, and this is unique to comics, but I think it can be applied in some way to fiction. Um, if it doesn't fit in the four panels, then uh, I need to change what I'm doing. I'm, right. I'm trying to say too much. I need to prune. Um, and as I start pruning, I start applying rules like uh, in late, out early. Right. I didn't need the setup. I didn't need one of the characters say, so what are we going to do now? I don't yeah. need that. Right. Even though that's a very common sort of phrase. Well, no, I think that can serve our listeners a lot. I think generally, for, for most writers I've met, putting in too much and then pruning down is a better way to go, um, for, particularly for a lot of fantasy writers I know. Yeah. I'd say one in 10 new writers I've met generally are too sparse and need to add. And for most of us, you know, get it on the page. Get the conversation saying the things that you need to say and then prune it down so that it starts to actually flow realistically. Yeah. Well, well, and one thing to remember is even if you can't get the back and forth banter to flow, right. if you can get one character speaking to sound very natural, yeah. then you can totally fake a reader out. Yeah. And they will assume that the flow of the conversation is natural, even though it's a little more formalized than the typical speaker would actually be. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, let's stomp for um, our book of the week. And we're going to let Dan go ahead and give us this one. Go for it. Okay, my book of the week. This is actually coming in a little late. But if you are on Twitter and have heard of uh, the program they're, they're doing called One Book, One Twitter, uh, it's basically an internet-wide reading group that is reading American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, we have a content warning on this, uh, both for sex and for language. Um, it, there, there's not much of it, but what there is 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 pretty graphic. You just so. gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> why anyway. those of you not benefiting from the video, why did you just thumbs up me for that? Well, because I know your nighttime proclivities. Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't good, make us lose our clean good, rating. Goodbye, clean rating. Yeah. <laughs> proclivities um, isn't a bad word. No. Um, why do you love that book? It is one of my favorite books because it is about more than its story. It is about America and it is about gods. In, in very brief, it is the, the gods of old are still around, they're in America, and people don't really believe in them anymore. And it's basically taking the concept of these ancient gods such as Odin and Chernobog and you know Easter herself and all these old people and treating them as immigrants to the new world. And yeah. it's fascinating. Uh, the writing in it is beautiful. The characterizations are, are wonderful. It's really, really excellent. I and recommend Gaiman it highly. usually does have very good dialogue. He usually does. Do that like is that correct. Segue? Mm-hmm. Um, he re- really, really does have sharp dialogue. So okay. that is our, uh, our Audible yes. recommendation for the week. It is audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your 15-day free trial and get download a copy to listen to and support the podcast. So thank you. All right, let's dig into this a little deeper. One of the other things that we had mentioned um, when Howard originally outlined what is um, stilted is, is the other half of it, where characters aren't acting like themselves through their dialogue. And I think this gives a real feeling of, of stiltedness about, mm-hmm. about half the time when you're saying, oh, this doesn't feel right. It's because the character who's saying it wouldn't be saying it. Now, we've, we've talked about Maiden Butler dialogue yeah. before. Joss Whedon, in the commentary for... Uh, uh, one of the seasons of Buffy said that uh, he was he was reading through a script and realized that you know he had other people writing some of these scripts and he realized this piece of dialogue here this 
this is Willow saying it, but it sounds like something Xander would say. Mm -hmm. And what's so neat is that uh, Joss was able to recognize his character's voices when they weren't being used right. And he went back to the, he said, it's a great line, but Willow can't say it. So what do we do? Well, you put Xander in the scene. And let Re- yeah, put it. Xander yeah. in the scene and let Xander say it. And so this, at least, is how Joss Whedon, who you know I believe to be one of the one great dialogists, one of the great dialogists. Yeah, um, that's how he solves the problem. Is that if if voice, if the voice needs to be so and so in order to deliver this, then you got to put so and so in the scene. Yeah, I mean that's one of the one of the things that's happening. I see with a lot of newer writers though, one of the problems is that they walk into a scene saying, Well, this information needs to get known. We need to let the reader know this. So somebody has to say it. And they put that information coming out of the mouth of the wrong person. And okay. oftentimes in a scene like that there is no right person to spout that information. So either they have to go and add a Watson character, which we've talked about before, right. particularly mm-hmm. in, um, in, even in dialogue uh, podcasts, we've talked about Watson character, or they have to learn how to approach that information from a new direction. Um, I've had one, um, one student in a class this semester who had a particularly bad problem with this is every time some people came on the, sc- on the screen, they would they would do this maiden butler thing. They would talk about things that it was obvious from the setup of the scene that these are things the characters had talked about dozens of times, and yet mm-hmm. they, in this, each dialogue would treat it like the first time and would yeah. be covering ground that they should have covered months ago or that they should never have covered together, other people should have covered with them. And in yeah. this case, the entire scene concept needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually find myself uh, in that trap where I'm, I'm putting dialogue in, and I know that as I'm putting it in, is exp- it's expository. It's right. information the reader has to have. And I go through and I evaluate it and reevaluate it and reevaluate it to determine where is the first time that this conversation really would have happened. Right. And once I determine that, I go ahead and pretend that the conversation happened at that time. Now, when that conversation happened at that time, it affected the universe right. and it propagated Somebody else now knows this. These characters now know this. How does it inform their dialogue now? And what can I tweak so that they drop the pieces? That's a great way. That's a great way of approaching it. The Mm -hmm. problem with it, and I I see this when people email me and ask, what's going on in your comic? I don't understand. It's subtle. (laughs) It is very, very subtle. But I believe that when the current story is in print form, people will go back through it and and read it and reread it and it will stand up to those sorts of rereadings precisely because it's subtle. Right. Yeah. Now, one of the best examples that I want to point out of doing this kind of dialogue right is uh, another Joss Whedon. It's from Firefly, actually, from the very first episode, um, where he has a situation where the bad guys have shown up, the Reavers, Mm -hmm. and he needs to explain to the audience what Reavers are. Fortunately, he has been smart enough to put a character in the scene who doesn't know what Reavers are and asks... And somebody says, they're scary. They will rape us, they'll eat our flesh, and they'll sew our skin into their clothes. And then the key line that makes it all work is, she says, and if we're very lucky, they'll do it in that order. Right. Which is marvelous because it makes them scarier. Right. It makes reveals her character. It makes us laugh and makes us scared at the same time, even though it is 
essentially an info dump. Right. But he's done it so seamlessly. Now, you can't always use a Watson character. It doesn't always yeah. work. Um, one trick that I've used that I would, the, the same thing that I suggested to this, um, to this student was to approach this and say, let's, let's make this instead of a conversation, make it an argument. What about this information does one character disagree with the other character yeah. about? And make that little thing that to you originally was, you know, just one part of this big, this big info dump, make that thing the argument. Why are they passionately opposed on this thing? And as they discuss their, you know, the, their argument about it, you know, it's, you can make it feel like something that's happened before. And they're arguing this for the fifth time, and it's going to come to a head here. And you can then get the information. You can slip it in in non-dialogue narrative um, dumps. Just a sentence here and a sentence there. That, you know, character thoughts. Why won't he listen? You know, why can't he see where you can make that information come across? What's fun is that that also functions, and I hope I'm not giving away any story points in Schlock Mercenary, that also functions as a beautiful red herring because right. people will start looking at that. Oh, gosh, these characters are arguing about this, this piece of technology. That must be important to the plot. Right. And they all twig to that. And no, that's just how I was telling you about it. And OK, red herring. Awesome. Yeah. Or no. maybe it's a Chekhov's gun. I don't know. This is a case where being a discovery writer can be a really big help uh, writing dialogue. Because what I like to do in a situation like this is just toss the characters into a scene and let them talk. Let them talk. You know, do something mm -hmm. like this. Give them something to argue about or find something else. And then the key information will slip in almost unnoticed, which is a nice bit of smoke and mirrors. And the dialogue feels natural because it's right. what your characters want to talk about and not what you want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Establish who your characters are firmly in your head. Find out what they would talk about. Reinforce who they are through that conversation. And let the info come out in a more natural way. All right. Um, Howard, you're waving your hand. Why don't you do the... Ooh, you yeah. have a writing I've got a writing prompt. prompt. You've got, wow. I've got a writing prompt. Okay. Um, this is a two-parter. Okay. Start with maid and butler dialogue with a maid and a butler who are establishing important plot points and write the worst maid and butler dialogue you know how to write. Okay. okay. It's an info dump and it's awful. Now go back and rewrite it. And now the maid and the butler are having an argument, a very impassioned, brutal sort of argument. The same information comes out, only make it not feel like maid and butler dialogue. All right. There you are. You're out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.